Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. So I was maybe nine years old when my brother Kirk, our neighbor Jeff Butts, and I were eating hamburgers in the back of my grandfather's El Camino, which Dad had borrowed for the afternoon. That sentence might need some explanation, especially to anyone who didn't grow up in the 1970s. If you don't know, the El Camino, for instance, was a vehicle with an identity crisis. It was a a sleek Chevy sedan in the front with a pickup bed in the back, kind of Well, kind of the reverse mullet of cars, now that I think about it. Party in the front, business in the back. Also, since it was the 1970s, the human race had not evolved enough to realize that it is absurd to let children ride in the beds of pickup trucks. So there we were. And at a stop sign about a half a mile from our house, Jeff thought it would be hilarious to throw a french fry out the back, which, of course, the rest of us boys thought it absolutely was. The fry landed a few feet short of the car behind us. The first signs that something had gone wrong were the angry glare and the fist shaking of the driver in that car that Jeff had not, for the record, just hit with a French fry. Things grew only more ominous as we realized this guy was actually following us home. Dad pulled into the driveway, got out and met the man who had sprung from his car cursing and shouting about what his father would have done to his backside if he'd behaved that way when he was a boy. Well, several things went through my mind. First, I was terrified because in our house, no one expressed their displeasure by yelling. Mind you, we had plenty of equally devastating ways to do that work, but we didn't yell. I also was in awe of my father, who calmly but firmly diffused the situation. Even I could see that he was the grown-up in the driveway. And I also distinctly remember thinking, So all those spankings made you into a guy who follows people home so he can yell at their kids over a french fry? Even a nine-year-old could see that this was a less than convincing case for corporal punishment. Now there's a familiar division among Christians, and I suspect among people of other faith traditions as well. Some say religion is about personal salvation and tending to the state of the individual soul. Others say religion's about calling out and reforming what's gone awry in society more broadly. But the Hebrew prophets seem to think that both the personal and the collective matter to God. Sometimes they emphasize one aspect more than the other, but a consistent prophetic message seems to be, if you will, don't be like the French fry guy. Here's what I mean. And don't worry, I promise we're eventually going to turn our attention to what an actual prophet named Isaiah actually had to say. The truth is, I've been that French fry guy, and so have you. We've all made raging judgments about what's wrong with the world when in truth, we had some personal work to do. Personal work on the story of how our own souls got to be in the state they're in, which may have a lot to do, more to do than we would like to admit with what's wrong with the world right now. It's unlikely that the guy in the driveway that day got back into his car and said, man, what just happened? i got to call my therapist or my sponsor or my pastor or somebody who can help me work out how in the world I got to right here. 
I say it's unlikely, but I truly hope some version of that scenario happened. If not that day, then someday. Because maybe his father did hit him as a child. Maybe in those blows he thought he was learning something about justice and righteousness and what it means to be a man. There's a backstory to any particular moment in our lives, isn't there? For better and for worse, there's always a story that leads to who we are right now. And if we want to get from here to someplace better, personally or as a society, there's going to have to be a better story that will take us from here to that better place, doesn't there? Did you notice how easily the prophecy in Isaiah 58 moves back and forth between personal religious practices and the broader ills of society? After getting our attention with that shout and letting us know that this nation of Israel has gone astray once again, the prophet says, why do we fast but you do not see? Why humble ourselves but you don't notice? Look, you serve your own interest on your fast day and oppress all your workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Fasting is an ancient religious practice, right? Shows up in all sorts of religious traditions, but with the exception of hunger strikes, we usually don't think of fasting as political. It's more often taken up as a personal practice that cleanses the mind and the body, sometimes atoning for sin, but often with this goal of heightened sense of connection with God. But personal transformation should lead to transformed relationships. Isaiah's rage is about people whose personal religious practices stay personal and maybe even become distraction from the actual needs of the people around them. I know in my own fitful and inconsistent prayer practice, I'm often trying to slow down the gerbils in my rational mind that churn on their wheels under the illusion they're solving a problem. I think whatever practices help us stop those gerbils and to pay keener attention to the present receiving it as a gift from a loving God, are important. And mind you, your practices don't have to look like mine, and neither of ours have to look just like those fasts that were Isaiah's concern. You might take long walks or rake leaves. Brother Lawrence famously practiced the presence of God by doing the dishes. Ardell would like me to take that one up with a little more consistency, I know. <laughs> but the fasting Isaiah was talking about also wasn't only personal. It was a shared practice that the whole community took up together. It was, it was one way the Israelites participated in organized religion, if you will. The Hebrew calendar, like Christian calendars to follow, even set out special days of fasting. So fasting was also a collective practice meant to form Jews as a religious community over time. I mention this because... As you may have heard, the leading indicators for organized religion haven't been positive in this country for quite a while. And a lot of folks, seeing how a lot of us Christians behave, sound a little like Isaiah. They wonder what all this religious practice is for if it's not producing people of kindness and justice and hospitality. People who share their bread with the hungry, bring the homeless poor into their houses people who don't hide themselves from their own kin, which are all of our sisters and brothers in the human family. As you and I know, 
A lot of Christians do these very things. They just don't tend to make the news. But it's also true that we all fail. All of us. We fail to be fully transformed by our practices of personal and collective prayer. And Isaiah's warning is to me, I think. When I take pride, when my little dinger dings, letting me know I've logged another 15 minutes of prayer time one morning, but fail in my basic responsibilities to my fellow human being. Christian practice should affect how I work and how I play and what I buy, how I interact with children and strangers, how I compensate my employees. Transformation isn't real transformation unless it moves outward from our lives and into the other lives in visible ways. Returning to the bad old news about organized religion, though, I think Isaiah would also say that we're fools to believe we can be the people God made us to be without structures and practices in communion with other people. Practices made to form us a little more into who God created us to be over time. Form us into the kinds of people this world just happens to need if it's to be healed and made a little more whole. In a week in which an ice storm imposed a fast on at least some aspects of our daily lives. Tyree Nichols and Vincent Astor were both buried in Memphis. Two very different men with very different stories. But in them we were reminded that this world can be made a little more affirming and accepting through the life of one small brave man in a Guayabara shirt. And also, tragically, that there is so much more transformation to be done in us as individuals, and within our systems and society. And to make, to make all of this personal, all of this is why I need you. This is why I need church. This is why I need the sacraments. I need practices in community over time that shape me in the ways of grace. Because I'm still, I'm still the French fry guy more often than I want to be. Believing I'm setting things right when in fact there's a broken story behind too, much, too many of my reactions to the world. It may take some personal prayer and meditation to loosen that story's grip, but it's also going to take other people. People confessing their sins and failures and then hearing in the hope of absolution that our failures and sins are not all that we are. People receiving the gifts of God as the people of God together week after week year after year, and also stopping, maybe even fasting, to ask honestly whether all those Christian practices are showing up in our relationships, and whether the world around us is becoming a more just and merciful place. This is the work of church. This is why it matters that you and I commit first simply to show up to each other in worship, in learning, in service, in friendship, we can't do the deeper work of transformation alone. And we're going to need each other for the long haul if the stories that have formed us are to bend toward the peace and justice of shalom for which this world was truly made. And remember, friends, in the end, Isaiah's passion didn't arise from everything that was wrong. It arose from a glimpse of that shalom that might be if we just remove the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, 
It arose because he saw that when you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom shall be like the noonday. The parched places of your life can be satisfied. Our bones can be made strong. He saw, and we can see it too by this wise old prophet's light, that the rebuilding of the ruins of this world, the repairing of its breaches, the restoration of streets in Memphis whose names we actually know depends on the transformation God can still do in your life and in mine when we keep showing up here together, praying here together for a clearer vision of what this world that God so loves might become, and praying for the strength to help that world come to be. If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them, and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.